On this day of days, there was an unfamiliar stirring deep inside the dozing heart of the Hayholt. In the castle's bewildering warren of quiet passages and overgrown, ivy-choked courtyards, in the monks' holes and damp, shadowed chambers. Courtiers and servants alike goggled and whispered. Scullions exchanged significant glances across the washing tubs in the steamy kitchen. Hushed conversations seemed to be taking place in every hallway and dooryard of the great keep. It might have been the first day of spring, to judge from the air of breathless anticipation, but the great calendar in Dr. Morgani's cluttered chamber showed differently. The month was only November. Autumn was holding the door, and winter was trudging in. What made this day a day different from all others was not a season, but a place. The Hayholt's throne room. For three long years its doors had been shut by the king's order, and heavy draperies had cloaked the multicolored windows. Even the cleaning servants had not been permitted to cross the threshold, causing the mistress of chambermaids no end of personal anguish. Three summers and three winters it had stood undisturbed. Today it was no longer empty, and all the castle hummed with rumor. In truth, there was one person in the busy Hayholt, whose attention was not fixed on that long, untenanted room. One bee in the murmuring hive whose solitary song was not in key with the greater droning. That one sat in the heart of the hedge garden, in an alcove between the dull red stone of the chapel and the leafless side of a skeletal hedge lion, and thought he was not missed. It had been an irritating day so far, the women all busy with scant time to answer questions, breakfast late and cold into the bargain. Confusing orders had been given to him as usual, and no one had any time to waste with any of his problems. And that was also, he thought grumpily, quite predictable. If it hadn't been for his discovery of this huge, magnificent beetle, which had come strolling across the garden, as self-satisfied as any prosperous villager, then the entire afternoon would have been a waste of time. With a twig he widened the tiny road he had scraped in the dark, cold earth beside the wall, but still the captive would not walk forward. He tickled gently at its glossy carapace but the stubborn beetle would not budge. Frowning, he sucked at his upper lip. Simon, where in the name of holy creation have you been? The twig dropped from his nerveless fingers, as though an arrow had pierced his heart. Slowly, he turned to look at the looming shape. Nowhere, Simon began to say, but even as the words passed his lips, a pair of bony fingers caught his ear and brought him sharply to his feet, yelping in pain. Don't you dare nowhere me, young layabout! Rachel the dragon, mistress of chambermaids, barked full into his face, a juxtaposition made possible only by Rachel's tiptoed stance and the boy's natural inclination to slouch, for the head chambermaid lacked nearly a foot of Simon's height. Sorry, then, mistress, I'm sorry, Simon muttered, noting with sadness the beetle nosing toward a crack in the chapel wall and freedom. Sorry is not going to get you by forever, Rachel growled. Every single body in the house is at work at getting things ready, but you, and bad enough, that is. But then I have to waste my valuable time trying to find you. How can you be such a wicked boy, Simon? 
when you should be acting like a man. How can you? The boy, fourteen gangly years old, and furiously embarrassed, said nothing. Rachel stared at him. Sad enough, she thought, that red hair and those spots. But when he squints his eyes all up that way and scowls, why, the child looks half-witted. Simon, staring in turn at his captor, saw Rachel breathing heavily, pluming the Novanda air with puffs of vapor. She was shivering, too. Although whether from the cold or anger, Simon couldn't tell. It didn't really matter. It just made him feel worse. She's still waiting for an answer. How tired and cross she looks. He curled himself into an even more pronounced slump and glared at his own feet. Well, you'll just come with me, then. The good Lord knows I've got things to keep an idle boy busy with. Don't you know the king is up out of his sickbed? That he's gone to his throne room today? Are you deaf and blind? She grabbed his elbow and frog-marched him across the garden. The king? King John? Simon asked, surprised. No, you ignorant boy. King Stone in the road. Of course, King John. Rachel halted in her tracks to push a wisp of limp steel-gray hair back under her bonnet. Her hand trembled. There, I hope you're happy, she said. You've gotten me so flummoxed and upset that I've gone and been disrespectful to the name of our good old King John, and him so sick and all. She snuffled loudly and then leaned over to deal Simon a stinging slap on the fat part of his arm. Just you come! She stumped forward, wicked boy in tow. 